I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the History Today podcast. In this episode, the Russian Mrs. Beaton. In the December issue of History Today, we have a piece about Yelena Molokovits, a Russian housewife whose household manual had a significant impact on culinary and domestic habits in the decades leading up to the Bolshevik Revolution. The author of the article is Helen Samuli, and she talks here to History Today deputy editor Charlotte Crowe. Um, so I'm very happy to be talking today to Helen Zamuli, who's written an article in our December issue about uh, a little-known, in England anyway, Russian housewife called Yelena Molokovits, who in 1861 um, published a book of household management. And in, we've described her in this article as <coughs> the Russian Mrs. Beaton. So I wonder... Helen, if you can tell us a little bit about how you became interested in, in Yelena Malokovitz. Um. Well, Yelena Malokovitz's book, which um, was exact, published exactly the same year as Mrs. Beaton's in England, was something that was just not available at all when I was a child being uh, brought up, not in the Soviet Union, but by parents who had themselves grown up there. And But people always knew about it. And so therefore, as a child even, I heard about the Malachovitz book, and as subsequently found out, much of what was said about her, just as about Mrs. Beaton, was actually not true. So subsequently, because I became quite interested in uh, the history of cookery books in general, and also about um, various social developments in Russia, the two sort of combined in my mind. And when I happily found a copy of a later edition in London Library, which happened as it happens, had belonged to Arthur Ransom, which in itself made it quite exciting. I thought, well, here we are. Let's do a little bit of research about um, the lady and um, did a couple of talks. People were very interested and decided to proceed to do some work on it. Pursue it. Yes. Is, is our article the, the, the first article you've written? It's the first article, yes. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, could you just describe to us a little bit about the situation in in Russia in 1861, at the moment at which uh, the book ap- appeared? Um, we know that that was the year of the uh, emancipation of the serfs under Alexander II, and something like 23 million serfs uh, were gradually freed. Mm. So... A lot of things must have been shifting in... in, in There were, and of course it was just the first of several reforms uh, under Alexander II, some of which worked, some of which didn't, some of which were then set back, um, were 
abolished more or less by his son after Alexander's assassination. The, there was a general feeling in the 60s that Russia was finally shifting towards a more European, although Russia had considered herself, the, herself to be European, well, ever since Catherine the Great, this was finally, the, the, the great blot on Russian history was serfdom, which was in fact not like European serfdom, but more like slavery. It can be compared to American slavery rather than um, European serfdom or feudalism. It wasn't a feudal system. So there were all these people who were now not owned by anybody, most of them were still tied to the land because uh, the, the communes were left in place, but quite a few started uh, moving out and becoming themselves people who owned land, um, developed. Uh, you know, there was this, this, this large development of what could have eventually become a middle class. And in, that, in those circumstances, of course, you needed some kind of a guide as to how to run a household. Now the other side of it, of course, is that if the serfs became free, then the owners of the serfs no, long, no longer had quite as many people at their beck and call. So the big households were broken up, people moved, uh, people had to have servants, had to have proper cooks, and so on. Again, you needed a certain amount of guidance. So can you tell us how uh, Yelena Molokovitz fitted into this picture? Who was she? She was, um, she was from the middle class. She was married to um, an engineer and uh, had herself been educated in uh, one of the uh, schools that were for, um, set up under Catherine for uh, daughters of um, nobility. And nobility extends rather a long way in Russia. And... Um, and had, um, had produced 10 children, I believe, and, um, and she ran her own household and whether she cooked uh, her own food all the time or whether she supervised very um, closely her own cook, she was slightly unusual in that respect because there was this endless complaint that Russian ladies didn't do enough in the house. And um, so she produced these wonderful recipes and then she started putting them together, apparently encouraged by her husband. And, uh, and eventually, when she was 30, this book was published and it had been passed actually before her 30th birthday by the censor, because in Russia every book that was printed had to be passed by the censor. And uh, so it was actually based, unlike Mrs. Beaton's, oddly enough, it was actually based entirely on her experience. And as her experience changed, and as she moved to St. Petersburg, the books, the subsequent editions of the books uh, of the book, um, acquired new chapters on how to furnish apartments and how to store food in apartments and so on. Is her experience reflected in the book in terms of the way she writes? Does she write uh, from the first person with reference to what's going on in her life? Do we glean about her life? Not a lot, not in the first place. In the first place, in fact, it was anonymous. She didn't even put in um, any initials. She then found, as time went on, and the book became very popular, that people copied it illegally or produced, um, well, travesties of it, and it was sold off. So she actually, by the time she got, before the 50th anniversary in 1911, which was a big event in the history of the book, um, she found that she had to complain to um, periodicals that um, uh, her book had been travestied and her recipes produced in a peculiar sort of fashion. And she then 
eventually, uh, according to her, very, very reluctantly had to name herself and explain who she was and actually wrote an introduction to, I think, the 1909 edition. It came out practically every year. Um, that um, who, a, a background, explained a bit about her family, why her husband, why she has this slightly odd surname and she says her husband's family was the only one that was called Malahovitz. And... Um, um, so, uh, so we find out a little bit about the way she thinks just from that introduction. But the recipes just have to, and the and, and the instructions as to how much to buy, how much to store, where to store things, and so on. One just has to glean her existence mm-hmm. uh, and the existence of many Russian women um, from from those recipes and from those instructions. From reading between the lines. Yeah. Um, now, food, custom, religion, uh, national identity were big themes for debate uh, at the second half of the 19th century. How, how does Milokovic's work fit into that debate? Was she aware of it? And who were the protagonists of those sorts of debates? She herself described, she described herself as being a very conservative, um, monarchist, orthodox um, which was one reason why she didn't like coming out in public because she felt it was unsuitable for a woman of her uh, views. And um, uh, it, in a funny sort of way, though, her book was actually quite enlightened because the debates about it had actually gone back to the second half of the 18th centuries, in a way, has been going on for, had already been going on for about a century. This whole idea of is Russia European? Where should Russia move forward? Um, stop me if you've heard this before, because these debates have gone on ever since. And should it move forward by imitating or copying or aping Western ideas, or should it um, find some resources in its own in her own history? Or whether, as some of the more extremes, shall we say, Slavophile said, well, change nothing, just stick to the old. Uh, Slavic habits, especially with food and production of food and so on. Well, clearly this couldn't go on because Russia, although potentially an extraordinarily rich country, was also very, very poor and very and seriously backward. And ever since Catherine the Great, when Russian nobility were allowed to travel freely to the West and people had been sent to study in the West and so on, um, and then of course the army that conquered Napoleon that swept across Europe, they found that European I, Europe was just so advanced compared to Russia that there was this, this, this great urge to do something about it. Now, as part of that was the feeling that the nobility should pay some attention. So men should pay, pay more attention to their land and women should pay more attention to the household. And this is, and uh, there were several books on that, and in fact, there was at least one other woman writer before Malahovia Savdeva, who did write instructions to Russian women, how to run their households, and then eventually started writing about how to run estates as well. So that was all part of this huge discussion, and Malahovia fitted in, in that she made it quite clear, without actually making a big issue of it, is that she thought... Um, ladies of the house should be very involved in the housekeeping uh, and should actually make sure, shouldn't just sit back and 
let the servants get on with it. But actually, and of course, one of her, one of the purposes of the book is to explain how to run a household well, how to produce tasty food and good food um, at a reasonable price. She, like Mrs. Beaton, gives um, ideas of how to have cheap food as well, but good food. So, uh, Yelena Malokovic was responding to a, a growing middle class, um, urban, broadly urban group of women, women and men, but but the book is called A Gift to Young Housewives. So how popular was it? How was it received? And it was immensely popular. It, it really was the gift that was given to young housewives when they were married. And because she actually lived, and I think we can trace her to, was probably 1917, 1918, and then she just disappears from sight. Uh, but by then she was pretty old, so the uh, the chance of an old woman surviving the Revolution and Civil War are, are negligible. And um, but so she could actually keep control if you compare her with Mrs. Beaton, who died young and whose fiscally rather irresponsible husband lost control of the whole mm-hmm. thing. But so this so she expanded the book. Um, the uh, I don't know the twentieth edition, for instance, is considerably bigger than the first edition. More recipes, although some of them are just variants on the old ones, and um, and they they were it was immensely popular. I mean, the last edition that actually passed the censor in I think nineteen sixteen, um, certainly published in nineteen seventeen, was the the thirtieth. So you, that you can see how many had come out. And so was it distributed all around Russia? It was in bookshops. People subscribed to it. Um, obviously, not everywhere in Russia you would get a bookshop. But, you know, the bigger talents would have bookshops. I mean, Russia was considerably more advanced country than Bolshevik historians made out later on. And uh, it uh, it was... She also wrote some other things. So these um, about... Well, partly about herbal medication but partly sort of um, uh, religious and nationalist propaganda for the war and those had to be bought directly from her she gave her gives her address in St. Petersburg where you can buy it but the book itself uh, for which is her big achievement was uh, could be acquired anywhere in Russia and and was and um, interestingly enough from the copies that have surfaced in the West it is quite clear that as people fled from Russia during the Revolution Civil War they took it with them as their sort of one of their treasured possessions not only Arthur Ransom it's not quite clear where he acquired it but um, you know the British Library for instance has a copy that is carefully labelled by a chap who lived in well lady, it's, it's, it's hard to tell, um, in Lower Addison Gardens in West London. And um, it's, you know, these things surfaced. People took them with them. This was a treasured family possession. And as I say, um, ge- some generations down, people could still remember uh, the book that... From their family. Fr- from their family, even if the book had long ago disappeared and nobody really knew what was in it. But it was a kind of symbol and things did get, especially for food, did get pretty bad in the Soviet Union. Even when there wasn't famine, it was uh, there was very there were shortages, and the food was very dull, and uh, it was just a nightmare trying to cook. And and so, in Malahovets's book became a kind of a symbol 
of the times when food was plentiful and there was choice and you didn't just queue up for and hours and hours to get some mince well to get some meat that you then took home to mince or whatever um, and so so there was this um, was it a nostalgic well it was partly nostalgic and partly a reaction to what was happening around the reality around the reality and um, her book wasn't reprinted in the Soviet Union until the very end, but in the nine, um, I'm sorry, in the eighties, um, there were a few bits and bobs. There were a couple of little books published of a few recipes uh, of, um, of 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 book. Do you think the book actually survived in Russia itself? Then during after in the Soviet period, have, people just put them very you know, in the back of the shelves and uh, it must have done uh, because as soon as the Soviet system fell, it started being reprinted. Now I must ask you to explain a little bit about what happened as as Bolshevism drew near and the revolution approached. What happened as far as Molochkovitz was concerned? Then? Well. Um, it is hard to tell. I mean... Um, she fell out of favour. Well, she did fall out of favour. I mean, first of all, she presumably died in about 1918. As I say, she was she was born in 1831, so she actually was fairly old. We do have some record uh, of her being listed in, um, in by this time, Petrograd, um, about the inhabitants of Petrograd in 1916. So she was still alive then, which is pretty astonishing. Um, but as a you know, during the war and the revolution, now after the revolution and the civil war, there was there were such shortages of food that nobody could possibly think of cooking from Malhavets anyway. But she was actually castigated by the Bolsheviks, and indeed some of the more um, tamer writers and even poets would write really quite unpleasant things. Because she her. was perceived as bourgeois? She was perceived as the bourgeois. She was perceived as the woman who glorified good life for just very few people, which, of course, is the exact opposite of what she was, because she was actually producing recipes for, for the ever-growing middle class I mean, and for everyone. And if you go through it... Uh, and I think Mrs Beaton had the same problem. People always think of her as just writing for the very rich, which actually isn't true. And if you go, she always, she has, Malhavets, has uh, dinners for every day of the year. Um, this is meat days and fasting days, which is very important for Russia because the Russian Orthodox calendar has so many fast days. That of four different variety, um, the more expensive, the less expensive, and so on and so forth. And she gives prices for things. And she also gives um, menus for servants, which are... Um, Let's go. So, so really, it is there. But as far as the Bolsheviks were concerned, this was it. This was the um, the epitome <clears throat> of everything that was wrong. Um, the the oppression uh, of the thing, and and of course, what they had to contend with is that people's own memories were rather different. Yes, that they remembered it rather the time when almost a lot of people, a far wider proportion of the people, could actually have. Very nice and yes. um, uh, varied food. So she's resurfaced again a little bit in the eighties, and and just finally, can I ask you how she, where where we stand with her today? Uh, now you've been doing this work about her, but in Russia, um, 
are her books being republished? They is her are, book being republished? They are. I saw People. one quite recently in the Russian bookshop in Waterstone. Is there the same craze about food developing well, in Russia had, that they we now obviously got? I mean, the thing in the Soviet period, you basically had one cookery book, uh, which was uh, published in the fifties, with with a quotation from Stalin. Um, and it was, it was early 50s. The quotation was subsequently taken out, and uh, which was all right, and in fact, strangely similar to the ideas that Malavis was propounding. But now there are lots and lots of cookery books in Russia. Many of them are actually just going back to the argument of whether it should be Russian food or foreign food. I noticed Russian cookery books published there are of Italian food and of I don't know, French food, Provencal food, whatever. But there's also um, a kind of upsurge of interest in Russian food. Sometimes it uh, produces some very strange results, and but <laughs> but that's that's inevitable. And certainly Malahavias has been republished several times. It's been shorn of various things. I mean, it's obviously been shorn of um, the prices of goods. I mean, that's that would be preposterous. Of also of the ideas of how to give, how to... Um, uh, furnish kitchens and apartments, all that's gone. So you really, and, and, and some of the recipes are, have gone because they are just uh, variants. Were they like Mrs. Beaton's, very time-consuming and requiring fiddly? Some, some have, mm-hmm. some have. Um, but the basic, even the most recent edition I saw in um, in a bookshop, and I was with someone who said, who said to me, look what you've started. And I said, well, I do <laughs> um, and uh, which actually doesn't explain who she is. Previous editions of her books explained, you know, this is it, and this we are now learning from our grandmothers because in, in the Soviet period we didn't know how to cook, but now we are once again looking to our grandmothers. To be honest, it's great great grandmothers by now. Yes. Um, as to how to cook and what a good idea it is, and so on. But this latest edition, although it has several, quite a long chunk from her introduction, and it's got her recipes, doesn't actually explain who she is, doesn't give any idea. No this context. Is just, no context. This is just a cookery book by Yelena Malahovets. Uh We don't know, but it was, it was reprinted again this year in Russia and it just carries on and there are various there is at one point there was a restaurant open that was supposed to be producing her food well I never found out um, there are certainly blogs that mention her so she's she's become a big person but quite often when you read these things it's obvious they don't exactly know much it's just once again she's the kind of the symbol the of symbol the good life that we are now going to have because the Soviet period is over and despite the difficulties, we are going to go back and have that. Well, if anybody is does want to know any more about uh, Helena Milokovic, they can do no better than to read your article that you've written for us that's coming out in our December issue. Helen Zamuoli, thank you very much. Thank you. That's all for this week. You can read Helen Samueli's piece, The Russian Mrs Beaton, in the December issue of History Today, which is out now. Also in this issue, Adam Rovner on an early 20th century attempt to create a Jewish homeland in Angola, Julie Peekman on the 18th century appetite for erotic fiction, Jonathan Hughes on the reign of Richard II, and Gillian Tyndall on new discoveries about Charles Dickens's London. 
You can also get History Today onto your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash app. Finally, you can listen to previous podcasts or comment on anything you've heard by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.